I'm Pastor Chris, and I had the privilege of sharing today's message with you guys. And uh, we're actually going to start off with a, a little bit of a stat here, a little bit of a number. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm a bit of a nerd. Really, a laugh from the stage. All right. I was kind of hoping there would be like a, a gas. No, I don't see you that way, but apparently not. Now, earlier this week, uh, Brad Martins, our board president, uh, sent out a link to us. And it was an article about how people see the church, not, not call pray, but the church as a whole, the faith as a whole. And in it, it said that two-thirds say that followers of Jesus say one thing, but do not follow those things in practice. Two-thirds of people they surveyed agreed that the behavior of Christians is a barrier to the faith. Um, we talked about this some last week. Uh, I was a little tired. I was a little out of it last week. I was kind of losing my voice. I don't know how much of it you remember or heard, uh, but I told the story about how I used to be a program director um, at an organization that used AmeriCorps members, which is a government grant where people give a year of their life to serve their country, and we get to interview and bring those individuals on. And when I was training them, I used to tell them that when you're off the clock, I, I have no control over what you do in your life but we're gonna give you a lot of swag. You're gonna get shirts and jackets and hats and all of that. And I do have to tell you that when you're wearing those, when our logo is on you, you represent us. And this is a program that's not guaranteed. Every time the government does a budget, it's debated on whether they're gonna keep it or not. And so how you represent us when you have our logo on you makes a difference. It could determine the future of this program. Last week I said that, that as Christians, that's often true of us, that when we claim to be Christians, we have the logo of Christ on us and how we behave when we're wearing that logo helps determine the future of the church, of the faith. And here's what's really sad. There, there was one more stat they pointed out, and that's that only 5% of engaged Christians uh, agreed with that statement. Now, what this means is, not one, that the church has, has a PR problem, that, that people like Jesus, they like the teachings of Jesus, they like the good news, but they don't necessarily like the Christians who claim to have that good news. I used to follow a Twitter account, and its handle was actually, Jesus needs new PR. I now follow a Twitter account called Christian Nightmares, and all it does is retreat the cringiest things that churches are doing all around the country. The church could use some new PR. The faith could use some new PR. But it also tells us that those of us who are involved in the faith are sometimes blind to that. Sometimes we forget how important it is for us to represent Christ when we leave this building. And so that's been the heart behind this series, a series entitled, For the Love of God, Please Stop. And I pointed out last week that this phrase, the title of this series, has kind of got a dual meaning to it. Many years ago, I worked at an insurance company in Springfield, Missouri. I was an associate underwriter. And if you know my personality, you know I'm the kind of person who loves sitting in a cubicle. And I used to sit there, and on the other side of the wall of my cubicle was this lady, nice lady. But she cleared her throat approximately 6,482 times a day. There was one day it bugged me so much, I took a tally of how many times it was happening. 
And I can't tell you how many times I just wanted to look over that wall like a gopher popping up and be like, for the love of God, please stop. How many of you have had somebody in your life like that? And that is the sentiment I have when I see a lot of Christians that show up on the Christian Nightmares Twitter account. I just want to yell at them, for the love of God, please stop. There was a clip that was on this the past week of this mom and she was talking about this demonic thing that was on her TV. She was warning other mothers through tears not to let their family engage in this thing that could welcome Satan into their homes and destroy the very faith they claim to have. And then it gets to the end of the clip. She's talking about Hocus Pocus 2 on the Disney Channel. For the love of God, please stop. But I also use this phrase because we mean it quite literally, that for the love of God, for the sake of being able to share the love of God with the world around us, please stop behaving this way. It's not helping. And so this whole series, the past three weeks and this week, has been about learning how to do that, how to share the love of God in a world that accurately represents our church, our faith, in a way that Jesus would be proud of. And so I had the job today of coming in and concluding this. And, and all week, I knew the passage I was going to preach on. I had done research on it. I knew where I wanted this message to end up, but I love preaching. I, I love writing these messages and I try to take pride in it, and I, I try to be creative. I always tell my friends, like, one of the things I try to do is, is ask, how can I take this passage that people have heard before, but, but maybe give it a new, a new twist, maybe turn it just a little bit so that they, they see it in a new way? And it got down to last night, and I just couldn't find that little creative spark you ever, you ever been in this place where you like, you need your brain to work, but the car won't turn over and you're just like begging, like, what's wrong with you head? Like, we need to go. It's time to go. I need you to do the thing. And the thing was not happening. And I was just sitting there at my desk so frustrated. But then I had a Spotify playlist on of a bunch of music I used to listen to back in college. And just at random, a cover of one of my favorite hymns. My grandpa's favorite hymn comes on, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." My brother, knowing that this was grandpa's favorite hymn and one of my favorite hymns, uh, a few years ago for Christmas, he, he found an old hymnal that, that had this hymn in it and the page was kind of beat up, it's kind of rustic looking, and he had it framed and now it, it hangs on the wall of my office and I walked over to it and I was just looking at those words, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" just to take him at his word. And it just felt like God kind of tell me, uh, Chris, I love when you're creative, but have you ever thought about just talking about this thing? It's worked for 2,000 years. Um, I don't always need your creativity to make it powerful because it is the word of God. And uh, so this morning, we're going to dive back into the Word. We're going to dive back into Colossians, the passage that we've been looking at over the last three weeks, and hopefully pull a few new things out of it, a few reminders out of it that can help us share the love of God with the world around us. Does is that, is that sound okay? If it doesn't, I have nothing else for you guys. So 
Thank you, thank you. Shelly and I have this agreement that if it ever gets awkwardly quiet, she'll just clap. Uh, that's what you just heard. So thank you. It definitely made it less awkward. Um, now we're going to dive into Colossians 3. Colossians is a unique letter written by Paul to a church. And it's unique because he's not been to this church. He did not found this church. It was one of his co-workers that did. And then his co-workers came to Paul when he was under house arrest and told him how things were going and how the church was struggling. It was facing these pressures from the culture around it and didn't know how to handle those. And this leader wanted to know if Paul would write them some words of instruction, some encouragement to know how to, how to handle the culture around them. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's still so powerful today. And he begins the third chapter of that with, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. How many of you guys uh, ran with Team World Vision last week or have run with Team World Vision at any point in the past? Anybody here? Show of hands. One of the things I always tell our runners is to focus on why we run. Because you're going to get out there, you're going to be in the middle of the race, and you're going to want to focus on everything else. You're going to want to focus on why your foot hurts, why you don't like these shoes anymore, where the next water stop is, why the person next to you is wearing that at a race. You're going to begin to question why you're out there. You're going to hate running. You're going to hate life. You're going to hate me. And I always remind people that it's in those moments that you have to focus on why you run. I tell our Team World Vision runners, look down at your bracelet. Look down at your shirt. Remember that we are running for something bigger than ourselves. You have to focus on what's important. And I think Paul begins this piece of instruction for how to handle the culture around them by telling them to focus on what is important. I had a pastor when I was growing up who used to say that when Christians begin to major on the minors and minor on the majors, that's when the church gets itself in trouble. When we forget what's important, when we forget why we're running this race. And I love that Paul starts out by reminding us that we're running this race for the realities of heaven, for this thing that God wants to do that is bigger than what we can see, bigger than all of us. And I've told you guys before, I always resonate with that language of heaven. See, I grew up in a Christian culture that sometimes focused so much on getting people to heaven that it forgot to get heaven to people. And yet I think that's what Paul is telling us to do, focus on what it would be like to live in the kingdom of God right here, right now. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. And I think we have a world that could use a little bit of heaven. There's another Christian writer. He says, we can tell the world that there is life after death, but the world really seems to be wondering, is there life before death? See, we have a world out there that needs the good news, that needs to experience the life and life to the full that Jesus can give us. But if we're not focused on why we're running, if we're not focused on the realities of heaven, we might miss that opportunity to bring heaven to them. So we focus on why we run. 
And then we got into what Dan preached on the first week. This, this passage, about 10 verses later, he says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ does all that matters and he lives in all of us. And Dan talked about this idea of removing labels. Because one of the most dangerous things we can do is label others. If we want to give the church, the faith, a bad name, it can often begin when we begin labeling those around us. When we look at them and we say, oh, they're conservative, or oh, they're progressive, or oh, they're Democrat, or oh, they're Republican, or oh, they're this or that. When we begin to do that, we begin to dehumanize them. We begin to forget that they're a child of God. I remember listening to a story on NPR where they were talking about abortion, uh, a topic that's often controversial in the church. I know that because several of you popped up pretty quick there. And he was talking about how there was this group that was gathering in their community to talk about abortion. And there were people from all different backgrounds and perspectives that were coming in. And they were talking to the leaders of that and they were asking, how do you have these conversations without them just getting heated and, and hateful and devolving into chaos? And he said, well, one of the first things we had to do was we had to stop using the terms pro-life and pro-choice. Because we realized that each side used those labels differently. They applied them differently. And when those labels got applied, they forgot that that was their neighbor that that was another human, another child of God. So, but when we dropped the labels and we realized that we're all people working through these issues, we were able to sit down and work through these issues and have difficult conversations. And so I, I love that Dan began by reminding us that we've got to drop these labels, that we can't use these if we want to change the world, if we want to share the love of God. And then the next week, Dan used this passage since God chose you to be a holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself in tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the, anyone who forgives you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And Dan talked about this idea of being holy and what it looks like to do that. And I love that on week two, we had this focus on the fact that we all have our faults. When I was growing up, I grew up, you guys all know this by now, Southern Baptist, and I think this is a Southern Baptist thing, but it used to drive me nuts. Preachers would often tell you to look at your neighbor and say something. I never wanted to look at my neighbor and say something. It drove me crazy, so I'm going to do it to you guys today. Uh, what I'd like you to do is I would like you to look at your neighbor and remind them that they are not perfect. You could just look them right in the eyes and say, you're not perfect. Yeah, take joy in it. it. It's fun. Paul is reminding us that no matter who, some of you are really getting into that. Settle down. Some of you are like, I've been wanting to say this for years. Um, Paul is reminding us that all of us are flawed. All of us are going to mess up. That when we're dealing with the world, we need to make allowance for their faults. We need to make allowance for each other's faults. And then he has this little reminder in there about forgiveness. And the Bible does this thing. It's almost scary at times because whenever it talks about us forgiving each other, it links it with God forgiving us. 
Jesus even goes so far in the Sermon on the Mount when he's teaching about it to say that if you don't forgive others, then God won't forgive you. And that always makes me a little uncomfortable, a little queasy because he's so closely linking this idea of forgiving one another with God's forgiveness of us. But what I think he's doing is he's pointing out that if God is able to forgive us for all of our imperfections, all of our faults, all of the times that we've messed up, then we can surely start to find that grace for one another. And when we do that, we're allowed to share the love of God with the world around us. And then last week, I get to preach on this passage here where it says, above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace and always be thankful. And I talked about this idea that so often we want to be right. We want to prove ourselves right. This happens a lot online. When you see somebody post, you know they're incorrect. You have an opportunity to totally own them. And it's so tempting to want to do that. But the gospel tells us that more important than being right is being loving. In fact, I pointed out that there's a phrase in there. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that word rule could be translated umpire to be referee, to make the call over what is right or wrong in the moment. And I, I talked about how when you go to post that comment online, that you need to let the peace of Christ be the umpire, be the decider of whether you should post that or not. And then today, we get to this last part of the passage. And before I read this, I've got to actually jump back a little bit in Colossians here into chapter one, because chapter one includes this Poem, they think it might have been an early song, but, but it sets the framework for how we read this next part. Let me read it to you. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Christ. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all of creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything that was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all of creation together. I love that Paul goes there. He begins this poem, this song with this idea that everything you see created by God. Saw a couple images online this week that kind of drives that home. This one is through the new uh, Webb telescope uh, up in space. Th these are stars. They're referred to as columns. Isn't that huge? It's crazy how far you're zoomed out there that each one of those dots is a solar system. This is massive. Then I saw this image right here. It's terrifying. You want to know what that is? That is not a demon. That's an ant, if you zoom in really close. And apparently we can do that now. And I love this idea that no matter how far you zoom out or how far you zoom in, God created that. That is what Paul is getting at here, is that everything we see is a part of God's creation, including you and including that really annoying coworker on the other side of the cubicle wall. And so that as we go out to deal with the world, we have to remember that the whole world was created by God through Jesus. 
And if we're going to love it, we got to love it like we love Jesus. And he finishes up that poem. He says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. So he not only goes on to tell us about creation, he goes on to tell us about a new creation, what he's doing in us by reconciling us to God. Now what I love is Paul, he goes a little further because as I read that, I think, well, that, that's great, but I'm not sure that includes me. And then Paul's like, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were as enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Take a hold of that good news that because of what Jesus did, we get to stand before God holy and blameless without a single fault. I don't know about you, that's, that's pretty epic. How many of you ever stood before somebody really important? You get that nervousness because you know you're going to say something stupid. I, I always do. Um, and here he's telling us that we're going to stand before God, but we don't have to worry. We're holy and blameless. And then we get to the passage in Colossians 3 that is kind of built upon this idea. He says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And I really want you to hear this verse here. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That word there, whatever. I've joked before, that a part of my upbringing was being a part of the late 90s evangelical youth group Christian bubble. We had our whole subculture of movies and books and music, and everything in my life was labeled one of two things. It was either secular or it was Christian. In fact, I would go into the Christian bookstore, there was a poster on the wall, and it said, if you like this secular band, you'll love this Christian band. And we divided the world in this idea that this is secular and this is Christian. What I love that Paul's doing here is he's taking those labels away. He's saying whatever you do, everything you do, all the things, even that, whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's why I think this is important for us. Because sometimes it might be tempting to think that when it comes to the reputation of the church and the faith, that that falls upon people who have a Christian job. Me or Dan or Kim or Drew or Shalia or Sandy or Heather or Dave. It's up to you guys to represent the church and the faith because you have a Christian job. I have a secular job. But I think what Paul is saying is that whatever you do or say you do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Martin Luther King Jr. once built upon this idea. He says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, as Beethoven composed music, as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Whatever we do, whatever your job is, Are you a teacher? Are you an agent? Are you an officer? Are you a coach? Are you a cashier? Do you bag groceries? No matter how big or small your job might seem, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go into that job and ask yourself, how would I do this job if I was doing it for Jesus? Because I believe that when we begin to do that, we start to change people's perception of the church and of the faith. When they see us living out the gospel, not just here, but out there, that's when everything starts to change. Um, how many of you guys like food? Um, how many of you guys have favorite restaurants? Um, I do. Um, and I can tell you uh, that my favorite restaurants are not McDonald's or Burger King or Applebee's, or Chili's. Now, my favorite restaurants are this little barbecue place that's off Johnson Drive over in Mission. It's this Mexican place that's over in Shawnee, best chips and salsa you'll ever have. The chips are so thin, it's just, it's perfect. It's the sushi place over on 87th that has this great lunch special. Actually, two doors down from that is this coffee shop has the best toast you'll ever have. It's like this thick. You eat it with a fork and a knife. They also have a really good chai tea latte. And what you'll notice about all of these restaurants is that none of them have commercials. I have not seen a single ad for any of them. But you know how I know about them? Word of mouth. Personal experience. People in the real world coming up to me and saying, these chips and salsa, you got to have it. This sushi, let me take you. And then I got to experience it myself and it became my favorite. I don't meet a whole lot of people whose favorite restaurant is Arby's. If, if it is, get out more. Uh, <laughs> I'll take you out to eat. But they're the ones at the ads. We got the meats. Um, a weird ad campaign, isn't it? But those aren't your favorites. Your favorites are the ones that you've experienced in real life or that someone in your real life has told you about. And I think that when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the love of God, the church can run all the ads, like messages from the front as we want, but can really change lives is when you go out there and whatever you do or say, you do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. I go back to that insurance company. I think about a lady who was on the other side of the other cubicle wall from me. Her name was Dee. I was going through a very difficult time in my life. I was very frustrated with the church. I didn't know if I wanted to do ministry anymore. I just felt really, really lost. And I came into this job not knowing what I was doing. And and Dee over there, she became my, my work mom. Has anybody ever had a work mom before? And I needed a work mom somebody to keep me on track, to remind me what I was doing. And we would go out for lunch and she would share her faith with me. She would share the worship songs that were touching her heart with me. And she became one of the most powerful ministers in my life during that season. 
Not because she got up on a stage or behind a pulpit and preached a sermon, but because she came to work and said, whatever I do or say, I'm gonna do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she impacted my life in, in deep and meaningful ways that if it was not for her, I do not know if I would be here standing on this platform today. Who, who could you be that minister to? Who sits on the other side of the cubicle wall? What would happen if you went to work and asked what it would look like to be there as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think that people, through word of mouth and personal experience, would start to experience the church, the faith in a different way. That isn't a barrier to Jesus, but is a gateway to Jesus. That is an invitation to know Jesus. Not because of anything I said here or on our podcast, but because of what you did when you went to work tomorrow. See, I think Jesus can be shared more on Monday than on Sunday. But the problem is, is I need you guys to believe that too. I need you guys to wake up tomorrow and say whatever I do or say today, I'm gonna do it with the logo of Christ on my shirt, knowing that I represent him, knowing that I'm sharing the love of God with those around me. But I think that if we start to do that, a whole lot more people get to experience God's love and their view of the church, the faith begins to change. They begin to say, if, 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 if I can have what they have, I, I want that. Teach me how to have that. And, and I think that is how we start to fill churches up with people. Not because of what happens on Sunday, but because of what happens on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Does that sound good? God, I pray that that word sticks with us this week. Whatever. Whatever we do, whatever we say, whether we have a Christian job or a secular job, I pray that we do it as if we were doing it for you. And I pray that as we do that, the love of Christ will shine through us and that the world can experience, can experience the, the, the life-changing love of Jesus through us. In Jesus' name, amen.